You're listening to the Bible Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Ferguson, along with Professors Jerry Hollinger and Rick Kleinert. The Bible Guys is a podcast focused on knowing God better through what He has written. You can find out more by following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Bible Guys Pod. You can also contact us via email at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, guys. Uh, this week, it seems a little, wait a second, it seems a little tense in the room. I know that we're talking about the, the New Covenant, and last week there was a bit of dissension or something, but I, I just feel like you could cut through the air with a butter knife right now. Yeah. What is going on? Well, it, it was tense. It's kind of gotten tenser over the past week. I think mm-hmm. we covered it up pretty well in the last podcast, but yeah, it's been, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to come back this week or not. Yeah. Wow. If, if you're watching, the, if you're listening to these podcasts in order, you get it. But if you aren't, you're confused. So you might have to go back and watch the last episode. Well, we're talking about the new covenant. We're going to continue that this week. And we had our first disagreement, you know, in our, mm. in our Bible guys relationship. Uh, we had our first disagreement over the, the three views we take or the, that are taken of the new covenant. Um, so, Devin, if you could tell Jerry, um, <laughs> that's how I feel. I don't want to talk to him directly. Yeah, yeah, of him. course. I mean, that's, that's how we treat anyone that we disagree with in, right. you know, a theological we, issue. We put an awkward person in the middle. That's, that's right. Yeah. Well, maybe we should review what the three major views are and uh, where the disagreement is. And then we can offer that we have new, we'll have new merch in the, in the store, team Jerry, team Rick. And and that's how we'll do it. I like that. Okay. So, so the big issue. Not a marketing ploy. (laughs) Yeah. Not at all. That's right. So we could actually blame the listener who sent in this question because he was talking about our view of the new covenant. And the thing that's really debated today that today the most is what is the church's relationship to the new covenant? And speaking very generally, there are three major views. One view is that the new covenant is being fulfilled today by the church. Others hold that it will be fulfilled by Israel in the future, but the church is partaking in salvific benefits now. And then the third general view is that the covenant was made with Israel and will be fulfilled by Israel in the future with the church not participating at all in the present. And what caused all the tension is that uh, Rick has adopted view two and I have adopted view three. So that's kind of where the problem lies. And I think where we sort of left off last week was we were both agreeing with each other that view number one is the least likely. And that's kind of where we left it. So we thought, well, maybe we should say a little bit more this week about views two and three, because there are new covenant passages in the New Testament. And where our disagreement would lie is our interpretation of those three passages. So we thought it might be a good idea maybe to clear the air a little bit and look at those key New Testament texts. Because Rick thinks I have to avoid those. No, no. and that's the joke at the side about this, is I know our listeners, I think they've gotten our sarcasm by now. We're, we, we, in the, we even ended that episode with the understanding of we could be charitable and, and, and not be in those things. But they, they are issues that we thought we should talk about, like 
with especially the person who submitted this question, we felt like we kind of left them hanging on, okay, well now we know your view, but why? So we want to go into that. It's not just, okay, well I'm going to adopt Jerry's view or I'm going to adopt Rick's view because I like them. And we want you to know why we hold that view. So we thought we'd look at the passages. And if I could say this also, it's also important to look at these New Testament texts because those who hold view one will also appeal to these texts. So I think in order to do justice to our claim that we're rejecting view number one is we have to offer some explanation for uh, these three key New Testament passages. Yeah, perfect. So uh, what's the first passage that we're going to be looking at today? Well, if we want to just move chronologically, we can start with the um, passage in the Gospels where Jesus is celebrating the Passover with the disciples. And when they take the cup, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So that would be the key passage. And then it's repeated by the um, several of the Gospel writers. And I'm looking at the passage in the Gospel. I'm looking at the Luke 22. Um, passage that's where we have it and i'm gonna i'll just read the text if that's all right with you guys and we'll kind of walk through it uh verse 14 is the esv says when the hour came he reclined at table and the apostles with him and he said to them i have earnestly desired to eat this passover with you before i suffer for i tell you i will not eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of god and he took the took a cup and when he had given thanks he said take this and divide among yourselves um, for i tell you that from now on i will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of kingdom of god comes and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is, at, is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question one another, which of them would, be, would it be who was going to do this? Yeah, so that, that's kind of the issue, and I think the question is, does that passage teach that the church is now under the New Covenant, and uh, or any part of the New Covenant? My answer would be no, and let me just give you kind of my logic. First of all, when we look back at the Old Testament passages, Rick and I, I think, both very strongly agree that the New Covenant is made with Israel. And that new covenant is not only referred to in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, but also all of the prophets are going to talk about new covenant provisions and blessings. And every time they do, it's always in the context of the future kingdom. It's when Israel is restored. Just for instance, in the key Jeremiah passage, um, in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, the prophet says, I, I make this new covenant with Israel after I plant them in the land. And so when I look at all of those passages and I come to these texts in the upper room which talk about the new covenant, what I am seeing at this point is in the Luke passage, Jesus already referred to the kingdom. And this would have been very important for the apostles because they were looking for the kingdom to come. Israel had rejected the kingdom. And therefore, this is a forward-looking text indicating that that which is going to bring about the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate provision of the forgiveness of sins for Israel, 
is Christ's blood. So Christ's blood has several applications. And the application in the New Covenant context for Israel is that this will be that which cleanses their sins when they are restored in the future. And if I could just add one other observation here. We Gentiles and the church don't need the New Covenant to experience the forgiveness of sins because the Bible already has been clear outside of New Covenant passages that that provision is already provided for the Gentiles. So uh, for me, pushing all of this out into the future with Israel, that still allows Gentiles to be saved, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, because that is taught, taught apart from these New Covenant passages. Christ's blood in this sense is just the application to Israel in the future. Um, so that's how I would understand the, those gospel passages rather than saying we are now experiencing a part of the new covenant. Right. And then this, this passage in the Luke 22 passage for myself um, in, in the view I hold to right now, um, it actually would need to be built upon later in, in, in other passages we're going to look at here today uh, to give more of my view. But the idea here is when he says, when I, when I take that was when he says this cup is, is the blow of the new covenant. He's in, he's it's in, in a way I guess you'd say he's uh, instituting this. He's uh, that we as Christians in the church age um, can participate in the those spiritual blessings that Israel's going to have in the future. Because I totally agree with that that this is that that's all going to be fulfilled with Israel in the future. We get to enjoy those spiritual blessings of regeneration and that indwelling Spirit now, and that's the the take on that. And we build on that from First Corinthians eleven, Second Corinthians three. And then also Hebrews eight. So, ex- agree with everything um, Jerry said in his understanding of that passage, interpretation of that passage. Just with more passages to keep going, I'll add to that. Still, the same idea: we get to enjoy the spiritual blessings, not the fulfillment of the covenant God made with them. Not we use, we we supersede them in any way. Uh, that that being Israel, but rather we get to enjoy those those um, blessings that were mentioned in that. Yeah, so do we want to now go to one of the the passages in in the Corinthians to see sort of those? Yeah, um, Paul's going to refer, in 1 Corinthians 11, he's going to refer to um, these upper room passages. Um, And my explanation for that would be the same as it has been for the gospel passages. So really... The big, I would say the biggest perceived weakness of my view would be the 2 Corinthians 3 passage where Paul says, I am a minister of the new covenant. So that would apparently kind of reverse everything I'm suggesting. So while our list, so we just said that and our listeners are listening, how would you, um, how do you get over that hurdle? Well, I think, um, there, I was going to say there are two strategies, but I, that's, that sounds as almost like I'm trying to explain these away, but I'm not. Uh, so let me say there, there are two kind of things I would bring, bring together. First of all, I would again go back to the Old Testament and say, if one went through the three major provisions of the Abrahamic covenant, and then the Palestinian covenant, and then the Davidic covenant, 
And then the new covenant, well, let's leave out the new covenant for a second. All of those other covenants, though they are mentioned in the New Testament, I would argue that we're not participating in any of those in any way in the present. So again, I, I approach it from, first of all, is there enough in the Second Corinthians passage to argue that, that we are when that isn't indicated in the Old Testament? But here's then what I would do with Second Corinthians 3. I would begin with the overall purpose of the book, and I think this is critical. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is not being attacked for the content of his ministry. Rather, he is being attacked for the character of his ministry. And if one begins in chapter 2 and works through chapter 5, Paul is going to use at least eight metaphors characterizing his ministry. That is what it is like. So, in other words, as he is talking about his ministry, he's not dealing with content of it, because that's not where he's being attacked. He's dealing with the character of it. So, when we come to 2 Corinthians 3, and he says, I'm a minister of the new covenant, um, I know Devin will appreciate this since uh, Rick, you donned him as the uh, linguist. Yeah, he's a linguist. Yep. But the New Covenant, that of course is in the genitive case. And the genitive case, there are like some 30 or so uses of it in the New Testament. If Paul is describing the content of his ministry, that is, he, he is a minister of the New Covenant, then that would be an objective genitive, which is entirely possible. But it's also possible that he is using the uh, New Covenant phrase as a descriptive genitive, in which case he is saying, I am, I have a New Covenant-like ministry. If that's correct, then that would fit with the characterization theme of his ministry in in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And I also think in the very passage itself, it illustrates this because he is being attacked by these legalists and by these Gnostics. And he indicates in the 2 Corinthians 3 passage that he talks about what is written on our hearts, not with ink, but by the Spirit. And then he talks that our adequacy is from God. And then in 3.6, he says, the Spirit gives us life. And I would say all those descriptors are showing the character of his ministry, which are illustrated by the New Covenant. So I think he can say that I have a New Covenant-like ministry in that it is not external, it is internal. And then, of course, that would be a reference to the internalization in the future by Israel when God regenerates them. So... I would take the uh, phrase, and sorry, I've kind (laughs) of waxed on here, but just trying to put a lot briefly. I would just take the minister of the new covenant phrase as a new covenant-like ministry that we have, that is Paul, Timothy, and Titus. So I don't even think he's talking about the church at large. I think he's talking about the attacks that were coming against uh, himself and Timothy and Titus we have a new covenant-like ministry. It's internal. It's not driven by external 
factors. So that, that would kind of be my take on that. Okay. I feel like if we're going to follow the format we've been kind of following, we hit, we get your side and I'll get my side and okay. answer, answer some things and, and, and all that. Um, so, so in the, the passages we're looking at, I agree with you. I think that this is talking about, uh, he, he's facing attacks, he's getting opposed, um, which is why he uses the terms old and new covenant. Uh, if you, as you read it, you, and I think you've alluded to it, those, his opponents, these, I mean, let's see, I think it's, well, we can use the Judaizers in here too, but the opponents are old covenant people. They're like, it's all about the old covenant. It, it's, you know, for, for Paul to say what he's been saying here uh, is wrong. And he says, well, yeah, we're, we're ministers of the new covenant of a new covenant. Um, so I would hold to he, that. He's not saying new covenant like he's saying that that's that, that new covenant, not again, that the um, he's not, again, he's, we have to remember that the physical, the national aspects of this covenant are pertaining to Israel and not appropriated, not put on the church. They are going to be fulfilled. It's just, again, using the terminology uses, and I, and I take the we, I do understand it being Paul and Titus and the others, but by extension, he's talking to the, these people in, the, in Corinth. Um, it's showing that the soteriological, the salvific aspects of that covenant, again, established um, through Christ's death, which we read in the Luke passage. Mm. So, yeah. I think another thing, too, that we can maybe throw out there, some have argued, and I think one can make a strong case that his opponents in Corinth were not Judaizers, but rather Gentiles. And if if that's the case, and I know we don't have time to go through the Mm -hmm. pros and cons of that, but if that's the case, then it would also make sense that he could say, I have a, a, a new covenant-like ministry. So he really wouldn't even be contrasting it with the old covenant. He's just pulling the, back that, that this is how my ministry is energized as opposed to your fleshly means. Because as we all know, the, the Corinthians were really into the external fleshly show of things. And... Um, but but I think what you said is very is very possible, and uh, certainly that's that's a very strong strong position. I think what I would come back to as well is that do we really need the new covenant to experience salvation benefits as Gentiles? And um, and I would answer so, no, I would answer no to that. Um, and I think and I think that's what's good about this conversation is that as we've been talking through it, we're listening to it. Uh, we, we've all, we both kind of have said, well, if this is the case, then this must be the consequence. And, mm-hmm. and there is some beauty in this that I think it's neat that we don't know fully, um, which is why we can have such a fun. I like, that's why I like the Bible guys so much is that we can have this kind of conversation and for lack of sarcasm, still be friends and in hopes to show that our listeners that you don't have to double down and make everybody fit your doctrinal mold. To, to be friends. You don't have to agree on every second, and that's the key, secondary, tertiary mm-hmm. issue. Um, right. this, this is not a hill that I'm, if somebody were to come into my church and say with, you know, or come into my house with a gun and say, look, deny the new covenant applies to Christians in any way, I'm going to say, why did you waste the time to come here over that? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, so, don't waste the bullet. on Right. That. Uh, it's not a, it's not a thing, but it's, it's, it's what's fun about having these kind of conversations is that you can look at a text 
and the Texas itself is if this, then that, and we don't know if it's that. And so it's good. Yeah. I think the other thing too is our disagreement is really so minor compared to our disagreement with view one. Right. And even those who are hold view one, I'd still be their friend. Absolutely. Um, So um, I think the consequences of view one are, I think more than the consequences between view two and three. Oh, no, Um, no question. Yeah. It's, it's almost like this. It's like, okay, so people are, you're listening. You can't see us. We're on zoom, but um, most of you know, if you're listeners, you know that, that Jerry and I are diehard Cubs fans. And that's besides the gospel. That is what glues us together. Um, that's, that's what brings us together. That's how we became friends in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's, so here's, here's the idea. I, I see view one, two, and three like this view one. You're a white Sox fan, but you still like baseball. <laughs> that, right? that is brutal. Okay. To say that. Yeah. That is. Oh, okay. View two. You think Ryan Sandberg is the greatest guy to ever put on a Cubs jersey. View three, you're more Ernie Banks. So it's like, I'm yeah. I'm not sure I like the connotation of well, that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing <laughs> yeah. it out there. Like, we still like the same team. We just, we just differ over, you know, some, some things about it. We don't fight over that. But if the Cubs – Go ahead. That seems to say I'm not forward-thinking enough. How about no, I take No, I didn't Ryan mean that. All right, you take Sandberg. I'll take, I'll take Ernie. Um, okay, that makes me feel better. Or, or that. And so it's like that's the, that's the kind of the thing. It's, you're not really – you're disagreeing, but it's, there are some things underneath it. Like both, all three people, the, the Sox fan the, and the two Cubs fans, were, if you ask us what's the best sport, it's baseball. You know, nobody's going to go – no question. We're not even going to talk to the Blackhawks guy. We don't care about what he thinks, and we're not going to talk to the Bulls fan. We're going to focus on baseball right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the Bears fan can come in, but you, you get my point. I feel like I'm going too far with this illustration. Well, but, yeah, something I, I've said before about hermeneutics, and and that's what really where our difference is in this this area. I think the one of the most important things about hermeneutics when it comes to you know, eschatological Israel issues is the philosophy one brings to the text. So you and I and Devin, we're all in the same camp. So we're coming to the text with the same philosophy of interpretation, but there is still going to be some minor difference. Whereas the guy with you one, he's coming to the text with a totally different philosophical approach. So there is a huge thing there. I mean, if we ever talked about Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog and Magog, which I still have no idea what to do with. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. There are like nine views on that passage. And we, if we disagreed on that, we're still coming with the same philosophical approach to the passage regarding Israel and the covenants. But, you know, some of those are really, really hard. And um, so we end up eschatologically with Israel at the same place, which is really the big, big crux of the whole debate. Yeah. And in conversations like this, I like to think that someday when we're in the kingdom, um, we're going to figure out like, Oh man, we were both wrong. There was, and there was this other view. <laughs> no, please. There was this other view that was like right there near it, but we were just kind of 2.5. Yeah. 2.5 <laughs> right between us. 
and like like four people held on to uh, in church in the history of the church. And well, if you one is right, we won't be in the kingdom in the future. Right, right which is why I, I started with the kingdom. Notice how I said that. There you go. Okay. Um, but I think you're. I think that's a key. And to think of this, and it's just a book I read a couple years ago. Um, Alistair McGrath's um, Christianity's Dangerous Idea. I don't know if you've read those, if you guys have read that. Um, it's, uh, it's about, the, it kind of builds on the Reformation, but it, it comes out of it. And he says that the Christianity's da- most dangerous idea that Christianity postulates is that any believer in Christ, any spirit-indwelled believer, can interpret Scripture on his own without need of anyone else. And what that's going to do is it's going to splinter. It's going to cause divisions because we're coming at the text with different things. Even indwelt men and women of God are going to disagree because of how we interpret scripture. Even if you interpret it exactly the same way in the sense of you read it the same way, you you have certain presuppositions, you're still going to come to different fields. And, And that causes what he called the dangerous idea. And I thought that was a neat thought. Um, well, so yeah. That's one of the major arguments of Roman Catholicism against Protestantism is yep. that very danger. And I, I think it might be good maybe in the future, sometimes in hermeneutics we talk about validation and maybe in the future, and validation is simply coming to the most likely interpretation based on the evidence. So maybe in some future podcast we could talk about the validation process as well. Um, because we wouldn't want to suggest that, you know, everybody just has a free reign with the text. There are rules that, that we can point out, okay, uh, we might have missed it here. And I know in my study over the years, I've come to certain conclusions, and then I've come across new evidence, or somebody has said to me, yeah, but you missed this. And it's like, ah, you're absolutely right. I didn't. I did miss that. So, in a conversation like this, you know, we can show each other and, and kind of help each other, um, you know, come to the most, most likely interpretation. And, and I, I think that's a fun thing to do. Yeah. And that's like, and, and this is why we're, I mean, it's really kind of when we, when we decided we were going to start the Bible guys podcast, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to be that place where we can have a conversation. We can look at how, what does it mean to properly interpret scripture um, it doesn't mean you're always going to land where we land, but the reason why this question is discussed the way it is tonight, is today and last week was because the question was, what are your guys' view on this? Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time when we have an episode, we have a passage and then we give our views, but it was asked that way. Um, and that's a, I think that's a beneficial com- part of the conversation. Most times, and I know I have done this in the past, especially as a new believer, you read a passage and then you go straight to a commentary or a study Bible. And whatever that study Bible or commentary says, that must be the interpretation of the passage. Mm-hmm. And, and as we've been studying this and you could, you know, we've talked about it too. Um, our views differ from a lot of commentaries and study notes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's okay. Yeah, it is. Um, and then the, the, there is a third passage that yeah. people bring up a lot and that's in Hebrews eight. And in Hebrews eight, it's interesting the writer, whoever that is, it's funny. Last night I was watching a documentary of uh, Jack the Ripper, and <laughs> and I've watched several of those, and it's like nobody knows who Jack the Ripper was. Uh, there's this guy in Sweden that might know, but 
But I was thinking, okay, we're about as certain as who wrote Hebrews as who Jack the Ripper was. So there's uh, a guy in Sweden who may know who Jack the Ripper is? He may know. I think he has the best evidence. And there's actually a picture of this guy. Of the guy in Sweden or Jack the Ripper? Of Jack the Ripper. Okay. That's going to... thinks is Jack... Anyway, all that to say... Oh man! When I said me. the writer, when I said the, the writer of Hebrews, what I meant is we don't know who he is. But anyway, in Hebrews eight, the writer actually quotes the Jeremiah thirty-one passage that we read last week, and so many have argued. Well, and that's an indicator that we are under part of the new covenant today. So let me just throw out my my take on that as well. And in Hebrews, as I think we would probably acknowledge one of the things the writer is doing is he's showing the superiority of Christ to the old system. And really the heart of the argument begins in 414 where he's talking about Christ's superiority to Aaron. And if Christ is a better priest than Aaron, then uh, Christ's ministry has to rest on a better oath than Aaron's. And eventually you come to chapter 8, and he's going to then, as I said, he's going to quote from Jeremiah 31. As far as my view of the, the Jeremiah quotation, I don't think the writer is even discussing the issue we're discussing. The oath upon which Christ's priesthood is based is the Melchizedekian oath between the Father, and the Son. He then proceeds in chapter 8 to demonstrate that, look, it was understood all along, even in the Old Testament, that the Aaronic order was temporary. He then cites Jeremiah 31. So my view of the 30, Jeremiah 31 quote is not to say we're under the New Covenant, but just to give Old Testament validation that even the Old Testament saw that the Aaronic order was temporary. And, and so I see nothing more there in the quote than that, just to prove um, that point. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess everybody listening would know where I go with this is I, I think he's referring to that, that new covenant uh, in that passage. Um, oh yeah. And I, and I agree. Yeah. Um, I was just arguing that I don't think Jesus priesthood is based on that. Right. covenant. Agreed. Just I totally it's based agree. on the, oath in chapter seven. Yeah. But, but I'm glad you said that because somebody could have taken that me to mean then, well, why does yeah. he talk about it? Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's agreed. I think we both agree that one. And you know, it's just, to me, it's the same as I, as you read through it, as you look at it and um, there's a distinction. Um, we're not saying here, I mean, some people have used this passage to say, okay, there you go. You've got a, you've got a unity. The church and Israel are the same. Ah, that's not what's happened in this passage. There's a distinction here. Um, but again, it goes back to the, the Luke passage. It goes back to, for me, the second Corinthians passage that there is that just as much as salvation. And I think you mentioned the Abrahamic covenant earlier and we talked about it last week. There's that third aspect of the Abrahamic covenant that is the universal blessing or blessing to all the nations. And then that is fleshed out in the new covenant. And, or oh, that's how I, what I hold to that it's fleshed out in the new covenant. Um, so, just as much as salvation is through the cross. We, we both agree on that one. Um, it's also through the blood of the new covenant, since it was shit that, as he said in, in the Luke passage, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the, the new covenant in my blood, that that new covenant 
is, is I, I've heard people use the, for, use the phrase ratified or inaugurated. I, I don't know. I think a better use is it's administered, um, if you want to use that. But it's the vehicle uh, for the blood of Christ is that vehicle for salvation. That, so, so therefore, that new covenant has that salvific effect that's going to hit, it's going to get Israel uh, in the in that future, in the millennium, and you know, we're right before the, the kingdom. Um, but then there's those effects for us in the here and now. Again, those salvific blessings, the spiritual blessings we have today. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's fun to be able to look at these passages and have not completely different views. Because I would hate for somebody to listen to this podcast and go, "Man, the Bible guys can't even agree on this." <laughs> this this is not even a honestly, my personal opinion. This is not a thing that's a big deal. Um, I don't think this is a, this might be one of those things where if your pastor in church says, Hey, I think view two and you're a view, you're a strong view three. I don't think you need to, I don't think you need to send an email. I think you should save your email. Uh, I don't think you should look at him with a weird face and make him and let him know that you disagree. Um, I think it may be something where if he's a view one or that you might have to have a conversation about it. Um, I think that's a different thing, but I don't think this is something that it's like, I don't see this as a wall builder uh, passage. Yeah, no, no question about it. And uh, yeah, you know, we need to give our pastors a break. Yeah. You know, even, yeah. If we disagree on things at this level, I mean, don't bother him with it. He, he's got enough to worry about. That's, yeah. Hey, if that's your opinion, great. Yeah. Go for it. And he has good reasons for his opinion. Yeah. And that's a, a good place. And as, as a pastor, Thank you for saying that. Um, uh, you know, what is that? There's that pat where Paul says, you, "Oh, you have this. You have this belief. Oh, good. Keep that between you and God." Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I love that. It's like, look, you don't have to. Any time, and and I get it to it, and probably all of us at this in this in this podcast have done this one time or another. We've read a book. We've listened to a sermon. We've come to an interpretation. We've studied a Greek text or a Hebrew text. And the pastor we are under his authority has Mm -hmm. said something that didn't land in the same strip that we land. Mm -hmm. And the temptation is to share that you, we don't need to share everything like that. Just keep it between you and God. Don't make a smug comment. Don't look at him weird. It's okay. Uh, It's all right. And the pastor has spent way more time studying the passage than the yeah. parishioner listening to the sermon. Right. Yeah. He's been, he's been writing that research paper for the last two weeks. So, <laughs> and building on his entire life yeah. of having looked at these things. So absolutely. So he, he is the expert. Mm. That's great. Well, thanks guys so much. Uh, thank you to the listener who sent us this question. Um, if you have any questions that you would like for us to discuss, please feel free to email us at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and also subscribe on your favorite listening podcast service. <laughs>